Hello friends, how's it going? My name is Matt Barr and you're listening to episode 39 of the Looking Sideways Action Sports podcast. It's the podcast where I try and uncover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavours. Thanks as ever for listening to and or downloading the show and I hope you enjoy this one. So for this one I headed up to London from my Brighton base to meet Stu McClaw of the Long Live Southbank campaign. To find out more about that campaign and to discuss why it's such an important moment in skateboarding and uh, London's wider cultural history. So if you've not heard of this whole Farago, here's some quick background. So skateboarders have been using a space on London's South Bank uh, called the Undercroft since the mid-1970s. And in that time, it's become one of the uh, most famous skate spots in the world, really. As Stu says during our chat, if a pro team rolls through London, they're going to session Southbank. It's been part of some of the key moments in skate history. Gone's in video days, anyone? And uh, perhaps more importantly, it's become an increasingly lonely flag waver for the type of non-corporate culture that is unfortunately becoming ever rarer in cities around the world, and particularly London, which uh, is becoming ever more homogenized, which is a word that I use a lot in this episode and gentrified. So all of which helps to explain why when the South Bank Centre, the South Bank Centre put forward an application to move the, well, to redevelop the site, which would mean moving the skaters from the Undercroft to a nearby purpose-built site under Hungerford Bridge. Yeah, it's, there was outrage really among the local and worldwide skate community. And the local skaters quickly mobilised to form the group Long Live South Bank and embarked upon a sophisticated grassroots campaign aimed at stopping the development, which has been hugely successful to the point that Long Live South Bank, the group, have ended up collaborating with the South Bank Centre and come up with a joint proposal to formally share the space and restore the Undercroft to some of its former glory. And the headline news on that front came about three weeks before me and Stu recorded this when it was announced that the Mayor of London's office had granted the uh, the campaign what's called a match fund grant. And what that means is uh, if the if the the South Bank Centre and Long Live South Bank can raise a certain amount of money, then the uh, the Mayor of London's office will match that, and then they'll be able to uh, to to get their make their plans go ahead. I mean, there's more of that in the podcast proper. I should also say at this point, myself and Stu do spend a little bit of time during the chat discussing the uh, the blueprints for the for the new Undercroft, which obviously won't make a whole lot of sense to you lot if you haven't seen them. So I'm going to put them on the show notes on social media. So keep an eye out there if you fancy some further context so yeah total departure this week really because as as regular people will know usually i'm talking about individuals but this this one's about a place and uh, when you think about it kind of surprised it's taken me that long really especially when it comes to skating and surfing activities in which place is uh, is crucial and where spots and even individual sessions get as venerated as as individuals i mean it does happen in snowboarding to a certain degree with places such as Chad's Gap or resorts like Chamonix. But, you know, let's be honest, there's a pretty high bar of entry there compared to a skate spot or even a, a surf spot. And uh, in skateboarding and to a lesser extent surfing, which has obviously got its own issues on this front, there's a purity and democracy about s- spots. They're, they're hugely important and looked at in that light. You don't need to be an expert in symbolism to understand just why this whole issue struck such a chord. I mean, it's an absolute cliche, this, but it's no less true because of that. But the way we look at terrain, whether natural or urban, is one of the key things that sets the sideways culture apart from the mainstream. I mean, that is exactly what went on with South Bank, which was developed for one purpose, and then skateboarders took it over and completely evolved their own culture and history in this one spot. 
And in the case of that place, the battle that's been fought over its future, I mean, this is one such occasion when that, that key difference, that cultural marker has basically become a flashpoint. And, uh, and yeah, a huge debate. And there are deeper questions at play here as well, which we do discuss. I mean, fundamentally, the Long Live South Bank campaign is, is really about what type of city we want to live in and what type of culture should be allowed to flourish in those cities. As I said at the top, skaters have shared the space with the, uh, the general public in the South Bank Centre for, for 40 years. And over that period, wider and central London have become so um, commodified that the South Bank skate scene has become more and more of a cultural anomaly, really. I mean, even in my lifetime, I'm in my early 40s, cities have changed from places that had a certain grudging respect for alternative culture to places that really do try and commodify every available inch of space. And how many countless scenes like South Bank have slipped through the cracks during that process? I mean, I'm sure everyone listening to this can think of examples. But it's another reason why this is so important, because effectively it's about who can write the history of a city and decide what form of culture is acceptable. Should it just be people with money? Um, or should it be the people who actually have to live in the environments created, like the people who skate South Bank and who are having every other support system that used to underpin their lives cut out from underneath them? So, yeah, it's important. And the great thing about this story overall is how it evolved so positively, you know, from a place of conflict between Long Live South Bank and the South Bank Centre to, uh, to one of collaboration. So the news of the grant from the city, from the mayor of London, sorry, seemed like a really great point to catch up with the Long Live South Bank family and find out exactly how they pulled off such an unlikely important and uh, pretty heartwarming coup in one of the most brutally capitalist cities in the world. So I did, and this is how it went down. My chat with Stu McClure of Long Live South Bank on moving from conflict to collaboration. Enjoy. So I'm with uh, Stu McClure. Stuart you? McClure, yeah. Stuart McClure. Stu, you can call me Stu. Stuart McClure, yeah. yeah. What do you prefer, Stu or Stuart? Stu. Stu. All right, from Longleaf South Bank. Yep. How are you doing? doing? Doing good, man. Yeah? Yeah, I'm doing very well. How's your day been? You know what? It's actually been really, really good. Yeah? It's been quite exciting. Sounds uh, like you're quite busy. Uh, yes, running around. I uh, yeah, didn't even get the chance to go home last night, so um, yeah, I've just been running around London all day. Yeah, and what, what's going on at the minute? What are you doing? Uh, lots of things. Um, today, specifically, we are moving our stock around yeah. and um, speaking to yourself and other members of the team have been in fundraising meetings with the South Bank Centre and some potential funders. Uh, another member of the team has been sorting out some accountancy and another member of the team has been working on an upcoming art exhibition. Right. Um, so, yeah, we're all over the place. Is, is that a typical kind of that spread away for you. That is a, that is a typical lot. day, yeah. yeah. Every day is something, something new. So how many are in the team, the Long Live South Bank team? Um, the Long Live South Bank family is massive. Uh, I mean, we have like a huge extended team of like volunteers and people that we call on for events. Uh, but the Long Live South Bank kind of core team is about like five or six people. Yeah. Yep. So we all have different kind of areas. Uh, but yeah, it's about five or six. And are you full time doing that? Uh, yeah, there's, there's three of us that are full-time and then there's three people that are well, two people that are like part-time yeah and obviously you've had some pretty big news what about a month ago now was it or a few weeks ago yeah a few weeks ago so can you can you explain the significance of that yeah uh it's massive it, it's not an out and out grant which is what we want to make 
explicitly clear to people because we've had loads of people come up to us and say, oh, you've raised, you've raised all the money, like you're there now. Um, but it's 700,000 pounds that will be given when we raise 700,000 pounds. And it's going to be split between ourselves and the South Bank Center yeah. for half it will go or like, we haven't worked out exactly how much, but it'll be split between the education center that's adjacent to the little banks and um, the restoration. So we have to raise all the money to then get the money, but we're on track and we'll get there. Um, but what it means for other potential funders is that it offers a really good incentive because we can go out to say, you know, the Sports England or London Marathon Trust or Uranda or all these funding bodies that are, you know, potentially backing us, we can say, look, you know, we have the support of the Mayor of London's office um, and we have this match funding grant. So if you give us, say, 50,000 or 100,000, the Mayor of London's office is going to double that essentially. So it's it's given some real push and like momentum to the project. And the application process was incredibly long and lots of paperwork and it was like three stages uh, and it's been what we've been working on for about almost a year now and uh, so we're so over the moon it's amazing for us so that's been the main focus for the last year or so no nah, definitely i wouldn't say it's the main focus it's just like it was kind of like a financial cornerstone if you will yeah um with like the viability of the projects long term yeah which is to restore the undercroft to its original yeah. state right yeah and so it's like this is this um current project is a step in that direction yeah um of course it's not it's still not the whole space so in fact i should probably now a good time to get out the plans um i can show you yeah that'd be great i mean i'll, I'll put a link to these up yeah so um obviously for a but yeah i mean like the long long term goal is to get everything back yeah um, but for now we're gonna get the little banks back so here we are yeah um so we're sat by the river here yeah yeah and this line here is the hoarding up there yeah okay um, right so it is it is a big area then. yeah it's a massive area yeah. it's about 420 meters squared right um predominantly as you can see flat ground yeah um and then the little banks and then this section here is half the driveway right um which is now going to be like a sick little like inverted bank to wall and then we've got a jersey barrier um which is like a pedestrian barrier because so, this thoroughfare here yeah. is a bottleneck of like a massive pedestrian thoroughfare like that's linked to a wider thing. Anyway, long story, but we need a little like pedestrian barrier there. So we thought, why not make it a jersey barrier so we can skate it? Yeah. Um, and yeah, so like maybe further down the line, some people put some ledges in or like, I don't know, but yeah, it's... it's yeah, you got a lot more space. Yeah. yeah so, <laughs> when, so when was this closed off as it is now? Because I should say, we're at the Undercroft now. If you listen to this, if you've never been there, the, the site that you've probably seen, if you've seen it on the videos, is is small compared to how it originally was this space, right? Yeah, exactly. And and when was this? When was it closed off to this uh, area that we can see now? This area was closed off, like it is around 2003, 2004. So they put up a temporary hoarding um, to do some maintenance and repair works under the understanding that it would be given back a year later once the works were finished. And they never did. And they never did, basically. And it was kind of brushed under the carpet, I think. And like the, I remember like the people at the time, though, they did, and this is what we learned after like doing more research, there was kind of a Long Live South Bank-esque campaign. Back then. Back then, um, 
but because social media wasn't really as powerful a tool as it was in 2013, yeah. like it didn't kind of get so much coverage and it wasn't so successful. But um, they definitely put up a fight and that, like after the initial campaign was successful and we kind of had South Bank Centre on the back foot a little bit, it was the perfect time to work together and be like, okay, let's, you know, let's collaborate and let's like, let's try and get the old space back really. Because that was one of the things I was going to say. Well, I followed this campaign from the start, really, and it seems that it did start off like as an as a adversarial thing with South Park Centre, but now it's very collaborative, isn't it? hundred percent. You, you guys have have got from a pretty far distance apart. You've now got to a point where you're effectively working with the South Park Centre, aren't you? Yeah, definitely. We always kind of do a tagline from conflict to collaboration. Yeah, because we work very close with the South Bank Centre. Like I just waved at one of the receptionists just then and like we meet them on a daily basis. I've phoned up their fundraising team this morning and to do a project like this you need to have a good working relationship with them. Yeah. And I think it was a massive lack of understanding uh, and a lack of conversation. And once South Bank Centre and especially their senior staff kind of understood what was happening and understood the value and the significance um, and the love that people had for the space, um, you know, minds were changed. And especially there's been there's been quite a shift of senior management right. o- over the last two years and beyond. So a lot of the old directors are now gone and there's like kind of fresh faces and fresh thoughts. Right. And even in the last two years, um, like the comms team and like all sorts, they've, they've all shifted. So people have started their job at yeah. South Bank Centre with this as an with issue. this as like an ongoing thing so yeah. they're like super behind it and it's yeah I mean big up South Bank Centre they've been really helpful so I guess a big part of the campaign then obviously was raising public awareness which you guys were massively successful at like really early on but it was re-educating them almost mm-hmm. that's what it seemed like a lot of the messaging yeah it was about like let's let's publicize this issue but yeah. it did seem that a lot of it was about like you said educating the authorities here about what they actually had under the nose because what always struck me that was just fundamentally flawed about the whole proposal was they're talking about importing a culture into a part of london which yeah. probably has the most legitimate culture street yeah. culture in in london really yeah. you know what i mean especially this part of the sea which is so homogenized this is like the last holdout isn't it and they just didn't seem to understand what they actually had. No, they didn't. And, you know, beyond that, they didn't even... I don't think they were even trying to understand it. They just were trying to fund their festival wing development. Like, on at the end of the day, it's just like numbers on a page. And they thought, you know, the only viable way that we can pay for this festival or whatever they called it, um, you know, their, their new development was to commodify the space. So... I think probably they did understand, they didn't quite understand, but they definitely just thought, saw it as an amazing way to make money because obviously like property on the South Bank, like where we are now is one of the most valuable property in the country. So yeah, they, they just, it was a completely different vision and, but they, they came around to it and I think they, they definitely do understand it more now. So what's the status for, for their plans? of this uh, where you are now you know you're collaborating obviously you've kind of got getting where you guys want to get to mm-hmm. and what are they still getting part of their original hopes for this redevelopment is it is it um i mean not not the undercroft that's for sure but I, are they still going to redevelop this whole i think they still have festival wing plans right 
Um, but it's changed a lot from the original. Yeah, I did have a, I did look at them a while ago, but they, they haven't really taken it forward because they, the whole point of the success of the first campaign is that they retracted the planning application. Yeah, so they just shelved it. So they've just shelved it now, yeah. um, and they're doing a few things. And like the, the education centre, which is part of our project, um, is kind of a section or is linked to that. Um, but that wasn't in their original plans. But yeah, they've essentially just shelved it for now. Um, but they've got so much going on. Like they, they manage a, what is it like, 26 acres or 26 hectares or something. Like their site is massive, and they've got so much going on. Like they took the boat off the roof the other day, uh, just doing the BFI up. Their site team, like Hayward Gallery, Queen Elizabeth Hall, just like reopened. So you know they're pretty busy. So will you guys be working with them to raise the funds that you need? Yeah. Is, is that that's a big part of the collaboration? Yeah. So we fund, we do uh, like funding applications together. Depending on the application, um, like some of it is, will be allocated for just the skate space, and other funds will be allocated for both the skate space and the education centre. And some funds will be allocated just for the education centre. It depends on the nature of the fund or yeah. the grant or whatever. And and that what that's going to look like in the end has also been presumably a big part of the collaboration like working, yeah. working with them to get these sort of you yeah know, so it'll look, it'll look like this so it will uh there we go here's the portfolio so yeah it'll be opened up and uh there's two sections of it yeah there is it so here's the existing skate space and then we have our bit yeah and then the young people center but then and then the plan is for potentially like 10 years down the line or however long yeah when they do a larger extension this could be restored fully yeah so we always want to put that idea in people's minds you know if you're a young like you know enthusiastic campaigner skater like potentially in 10 years there might be another long live south bank like to try and do a full restoration and that's what we're trying to set the foundation for now and uh, so yeah i mean who knows? It's a long way in the future, but for now, we'll yeah, we'll get the little banks back. Well, that, I mean, that's been one of the most impressive parts of the campaign, though, isn't it? Like the grassroots en engagement and activism, really. Because I mean, this is like a legitimate grassroots campaign, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it was like no organisation behind this. This is like growing up spontaneously. I mean, I know there's a scene, obviously, but you know mm. what I mean. Like Longley South Bank, the movement that you've created did come about because of this threat to the undercroft didn't it and that's a hugely positive thing right the amount of people that are involved you know you were saying before we started recording that you know how you got involved mm -hmm. was because you saw the issue you thought well i've got something that i can add to this it sounds like that that approach was was pretty spontaneous really yeah massively i think it, it just showed the power of like passion and love for skating like if people people just wanted to help they wanted if, if if you know we still get hit up by like designers photographers videographers just being like look i'm i'm a designer like, if you want me to do anything hit me up or you know loads of people that just want to help and i think that's so great to see and it's like that you know when we're the days are long and the mornings are early that does help us to understand that we've got like so many offers of support and like you said like it originally like came about quite organically um just out of the threat and now it's you know whew, that was sick sorry somebody just kicked it off the bank <laughs> uh, um yeah sorry i forgot what i was gonna say <laughs> no you said it came out spontaneously <laughs> yeah you know, yeah, like yeah. As, um, as, as a result of the scene that, that exists here yeah and it's it's more organized these days because it has to be yeah um but you know still never forget our roots yeah and i guess that was something that must have been 
pretty effective when you're dealing with this entity, you know, at the time quite a faceless entity. Like they must have been impressed by that, by the by the the passion basically. And, yeah, and they uh, still are, and, definitely. Right. So is that so I guess this is a good point to talk about the significance of South Bank really in skateboarding. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, when I was researching this, I was looking back over the films and stuff you know you've got every skateboarder of note in the world has been involved in this campaign haven't they you know what i mean you know you've had yeah i mean if people roll like if, if a team comes to london like they're gonna come to south bank yeah and they've all been like no this is the spot like this is like like you know this is when you come to london this is that important yeah so when did it when did people start skateboarding there Originally 1973, right. about the first recorded use. Uh, the first photographic evidence of people skating here was 1976. Right. Um, there's some amazing Brian Gittings photos of people rolling down over there, like doing handstands and madness. But yeah, it was, it was the early to mid 70s when people started coming down here. And what's the history of the space? Presumably, was it like the Festival of Britain? Yeah, so, I mean, everything stems back to the Festival of Britain. So. After the war, there was an effort by the London, well, the city of London, to kind of express this feeling of, you know, new hope and excitement. Civic, civic pride. Yeah, exactly. We so won they, the war. They did this festival of Britain, and was it was part it linked of that was access to arts, and they, the team of architects that designed the space that we're in now, they specifically had it in mind to be interpreted and experienced and not just used functionally they were part of a radical group of architects called archigram and who had a huge focus on like the idea of like a nomadic city dweller right and this like really engaging like modernist way of thinking about cities so and we got told by the architects actually the other week that um that they were like basing it on something to do with like a zoo and they w wanted to like think about how animals interpret space and it's quite funny that now like the skaters that are like riding around the banks are these kind of goats but or something especially <laughs> with, especially with the fence yeah know, that, exactly that, that hold it in and and that whole like you know is there's a crowd every five minutes yeah it always bums me out that they put the um the wooden thing there because yeah. i get so hyped on that skin phillips photo of mark gonzalez doing the hippie jump into the bank and uh yeah, shame about people's ankles, I guess. But they've, it's, it's always evolved in that way, hasn't it, this space? You know, they've always, there's always been new things coming to it. I mean, going back to that Festival of Britain, that was like a really futuristic piece of civic architecture, wasn't it? Because you had that mm -hmm. Skylon thing, didn't you, as yeah. well, that was here, yeah, which yeah, yeah. is obviously long gone. But so these spike, Those spikes are from the... Are they actually from the Skylon, are they? They're, they're from the original Festival of Britain, I'm pretty sure. Right. Might be wrong on that. Somebody, somebody can check that. Yeah, yeah. So, so this Undercroft space, when this was built in the fifties, did that have a designated? Late sixties, it was. In the late sixties, yeah. okay. So, but before skateboarders started using it, did it have a designated use, or was it just part of? This? It was just a pedestrian thoroughfare. It was used as a walkway to get to the Royal Festival Hall and the Queen Elizabeth Hall. Uh, so, because where we are now was a road, and there was a road up there, and so it was. It was a lot, it was car heavy, and they just needed a space for pedestrians to walk through the building. And so, yeah, it was just fully just a pedestrian thoroughfare. Right, so skaters started using it in the 70s. Yeah, because no one, no pedestrians were really using it because yeah. it was really dark. It was like an expanse, and 
you know people were just hanging out here and i guess people didn't want to walk through it and then skaters started coming in yeah yeah i mean i watched this hilarious clip from the 70s it's on youtube i'm sure you've seen it of like it's probably like a like an itv news thing yeah with the kids yeah 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 and he's like you're skateboarding like what you know he's got a little <laughs> you know i mean it's just funny it's such a funny video it's a funny video but about. what it but what it it, it kind of symbolizes the relationship that skateboarding's always had with the mainstream. And that's another thing that this space has always kind of symbolized, doesn't it? Because it's in the middle of London and it's right in the public eye and the mainstream has always had a bit of a weird relationship with it, essentially. So has that always been part of the history of this space that, that obviously skaters made it home and mm. skaters made it iconic very quickly, but there was always a bit of a battle between like what the space should be used for I think it just emerged quite naturally just because of the like the way that the undercroft is and the banks and the way that you can skate it like it's a perfect spot and you know they didn't have it in mind but if you skate around the pillar and like if you come in from that side and you go under you've got like a perfect front side carve and it just makes sense uh, and it's just perfect so how did it develop skateboarding here in the 80s every generation i mean you got like the proper OGs that were here in that time, and there, there's less documentation. Like the rad, like you, you spoke to Tim Layton Boyce, yeah. and like you know the rad guys, you know Wig Warland and all of that. It was just we had that was, synonymous kind of crew, didn't you, in the early nineties, like Simon Evans, like Curtis McCann, all yeah, that exactly. Lot. Oh who, my God, Curtis McCann, Winston, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Who and you know iconic moments. I mean, video days, guns, like shell yeah. centered to. South Bank Line, mm -hmm. you know, basically, it like we were saying, very quickly became this extremely important place, didn't it? Yeah, some of the footage, like, I mean, even like when I'm getting inspired about this spot, I just think of like Nick Jensen's lines, and you know, I grew up skating South Bank after the hoarding was put up. Like, I started like getting the train into London and skating street and skating South Bank. And I don't ever remember skating the little banks. I think like one of the, maybe one of the first times I came down that it wouldn't have been here, but I didn't really notice it because I was, you know, little and too afraid of yeah, South, yeah. South Bank and yeah. all the locals. Um, but yeah, so I'm, I'm hyped to see what it's, I mean, just the amount of times we've sat in like <laughs> the Longlist South Bank office or like one of our houses and just, like thought of lines and just being like looking at the plans like oh, I would do this like come from that side yeah it's we'll get there yeah it's gonna be good it's gonna be good so when did you when did they first put in and I know don't particularly dwell on like you know the, the early part of this campaign but mm -hmm. I'm just interested in, in the way that your campaign developed really because like I say it is, a, it is a bit of a story of positive activism as well isn't it really so when was it like about six five six years ago they first applied for this new development yeah, as it, it were 2013 uh, they put in the planning application which it was and still is the uh, the single most objected planning application in uk history uh long of south bank broke the record twice which speaks volumes i mean it's just you know <laughs> it's so funny it beats the amount of personal objections to like nuclear power plants right and like recycling centers and villages and towns like the public got so behind it because even if you don't skate or if you don't write graffiti or you don't ride a bmx like you can still appreciate what's real and what's in front of your eyes and i think as the campaign like 
picked up momentum over 17 months. And as we were talking earlier, like with the strength of like Henry's videos and the campaign table, you know, it, people quickly saw what was going on here. And it's so sick that it's, it's got that label as like the most objected application ever. So why do you think people got so behind it? What do you think it was that, that struck a chord? Because obviously there's always applications that are unpopular. You know, there's always, mm. there's always things that people don't want to happen. But this one, like you say, completely took off and not just among skateboarders. You know, you had, yeah. you had some amazing backers. And the other thing that I noticed as well is, you know, you, you did attract like MPs. You know, you've had two mayors of London who've backed your campaign. You've had architects, you know. You've had you've had people that are from what you would consider the mainstream, really, who instinctively saw this as a as an important issue. Like, why why do you think that is? I think it because it's one of the most important cultural spots in the world, and you know, people know that if you do like any little bit of research or talk to any skaters or you know artists they're going to know about South Bank and like you said everyone walks past it it's right on the Queen's Walk everyone knows it and I think like I said earlier like even if you don't skate you can recognise the significance of having a free creative space and I think people appreciate it so much even if they don't use it because they see it as representing this part of city life that everyone kind of knows is diminishing yeah. which is to pressing but it's true so like you know in a time where access to these kind of spaces is decreasing alongside like severe cuts to like you know youth centers and like any investment for young people it just like the context of our times makes it even more important and I think people recognize that and that's definitely why you know more as you said like mainstream um individuals took to supporting it because you know it is a great cause you don't have to skate to get behind it it's for everyone that's the whole point and you think they just didn't see the significance of that when they initially put forward this this original idea to change it yeah i think they uh they definitely underestimated the power of skateboarders that's for sure yeah well you used the language of skating didn't you? and you know like a lot of it was filmmaking a lot of it was was basically just using the thing that the way you tell stories in skateboarding to tell this story to to, to a mainstream audience did they well, not a mainstream audience but to this this group did they respond to that immediately or was that quite a hard message to get across i think it took a little while um but they got it eventually uh yeah i mean the, the power of social media and the power of videography is just so essential to the campaign yeah and still is like our instagram is you know a big part of our project which i kind of pains me to say it these days because like obviously Instagram is just like essentially this thing on your phone and why don't you just go out and experience life but it is really important to us and it's a great way for us to explain to our backers what's going on and we put a lot of thought and uh, Paul especially like you know he works really hard at like creating a consistent like storyline and it's well thought through to try and like give like a real understanding and sense of I don't know just a story and yeah it's a proper on. well told story wasn't it I mean you know the, from everything from the logo to like the, the merchandise like the events that you hold I mean you've used a lot of different ways of telling it you know yeah we're so lucky with the pillar like there's just such a iconic and easily recognisable thing that's so central I love I love the logo and we started like just dropping Long Live South Bank on like some things and just using the pillar it's 
Yeah, nice one, Archogram. Yeah. <laughs> right, so that's you came up with it. Yeah, I mean, like, it's just like a mushroom pillar, structural loads, like, and the engineers love it as well. Like, we have a bunch of archive drawings, and uh, that's another reason why we have a lot of strong backers in the architectural field, because they really love the space architecture. Obviously, it's like one of the most important brutalist structures in the world, um, and especially in London. So it's just another great reason why people get behind it. So what's the time frame then? The from, time frame from, from this point is we are looking to have raised the funds by late this year, and we want to start construction by potentially late this year or more likely early next year. Uh, and then finish the project next year, maybe mid next year. The difficulty is, is that, and this is another condition on like our funding, is that we can't necessarily get all the funds until we can prove that we can pay for the whole project. Right. And so that means that we have to like sit and save our pennies until we can afford to do it all. And yeah, I mean, the restoration of the skate space is pretty straightforward, but the education centre is a little bit more difficult because obviously it's got to cater for children and it's got to have running water and like, you know, a toilet for every 10 children and blah, 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 blah. So it's it's a lot more costly, but we are, we are looking to bring costs down because definitely the cost is something that's extending the timeline. Right. Um, but we're looking into that as we speak. Um, to try and bring it down. But yeah, I mean, the bottom line is next year, hopefully, right. like fingers and toes crossed that we'll be skating the Little Banks next year by summer or maybe before. And is there more to the campaign after that? Like, will it, will it continue? That is a great question that a lot of people ask us <coughs> and we sometimes ask ourselves. Um, the short answer is we don't know. I think Long Live South Bank will always be something, whether that's, you know, a community organization, a vision, you know, uh, it's a non-profit that does events. I honestly have no idea. Um, we've just, we're all, we've got our eyes set so firmly on our goal that, you know, <laughs> we don't even have the energy to think about what we're going to do afterwards. Yeah. Uh, we just want to get this done and then we'll think about it. Yeah. So what can people that are listening to this and there's probably be a few of them that don't really know about this and, and like are interested. What could they do to, to help help you guys at this stage? LLSBDonate.com. Yeah. Uh, give a quid, give 10 quid, give 100 quid, whatever you can. We've got a bunch of rewards on there so you can get like some artwork or some, some of our merch or other things. Um, just find out more, tell your friends, talk about it. It's one of these projects that it, it grows as people discuss it more and debate it and analyze it and then you know we're having this conversation now that's framed by so many different arguments and thoughts and it, it, it's great when you know if people can't donate any money or they they can't give any time because they're busy you know just chatting to people about it letting people know and just like oh have you heard about this like blah 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 and there's so many different ways people can get involved but yeah, I mean, head to LLSBDonate.com and check out all the information and the plans and uh, come down to one of our events. We've got a uh, fundraising art exhibition coming up in April. Um, we've got a couple more things lined up for later in the year. And we're always busy doing things, so, you know, we'll let people know. What's the exhibition about? Well, I don't know if I can really say, to be honest, because it hasn't really been uh, launched, but it's essentially 
an exhibition that is celebrating the culture and the artistic creativity of the undercroft uh yeah you'll see yeah i mean that's been one of the great things about it you've had such a lot of support from the skate industry haven't you you know brand i mean we mentioned the the, the pro skaters or whatever the well-known skaters before but you know massive brand involvement yeah massive backing completely. from the industry it's which been, has been, been yeah, really important right it's been like amazing and inspirational and makes me love skateboarding skateboarding is good at that skateboarding like, is good at that yeah it's and what's great is that the big brands help when they can and the little brands help when they can so if it's like you know Stu from love and skate like giving us a couple t-shirts for a jam or like you know Val and Daphne from Brixton's Baddest like letting us use the basement or like the, the guys over at Keen like sending us some stuff or like you know Adidas and like Adidas skateboarding like doing the collab Palace with the boards like Supreme recently with these shoes you know everyone does try and do what they can and we've spoken to so many different brands like we were at Bright recently we got nominated for Lifetime Achievement Awards didn't get it which we didn't think we would since we were the youngest contenders um, and we haven't really had a lifetime yet, but the skate industry is like backing it. I mean, as, as they should, like, that's all, it's, it's everyone's project. That's what we try and give out to people is that, you know, we're doing this alongside everyone for everyone. So if, you know, 790,000 people can donate one pound, then all the money's raised and it's, and then we can say like, it's everyone's project because everyone like helped us get there. and. Yeah, I mean, if you work in skateboarding and you run a brand or you know people that work on their marketing team, tell them to drop us an email at info at LLSB.com. I mean, we're always looking to get more people involved and uh, yeah, just say hello because the skateboarding industry is massive now and we've been looking to get more involved with some US companies potentially because, you know, there's... The, the skate scene in the States is like a multi-billion pound industry and we know that, you know, that could take us over the edge and we recently put out that edit on Jenkum, which I don't know if you've seen. You've seen the, the yeah, edit? Yeah, I'll, I'll put a link to that. Oh, George Toland absolutely smashed it. Um, so that's been just premiered on Jenkum, which is a pretty big deal for us. And so, yeah, we're just trying to get the skateboard industry hyped on it and I think they are and those that don't know should get to know. Yeah. So what, what's been the, it's a tricky question really, but what's been the biggest challenge of this whole thing? Oh, that is a good question. Because there's, you know, there's been a lot going on. You've had I to learn a new yeah, I think, world really, haven't you? I think the biggest challenge, apart from the obvious one, which is raising 790,000 pounds, which, yeah, which is, is like no a massive amount of money. No small thing. Uh, is that we're a really small team that are really stretched. Uh, and like day-to-day -day tasks and administration and logistics and like, you know, just all the boring stuff that you forget, like people, it's, it's not so glamorous, like writing funding applications, like going through legal documents, booking vans, like getting things framed, like working out invoices, like staffing, like weekly plans. It's just, it's an incredibly large amount of work for a small group of essentially five or six people to do. And I'm so proud of our team. And I think, you know, it's taught everyone so much about project management and time allocation, priorities. So, I mean, I would say the biggest, yeah, I mean, the, the biggest hurdle is just how big of a project it is and how much it's grown as well. So it's hard to keep up with it sometimes. And what's, your, what's, what's the moment you're most proud of? 
it's been a lot of lot of highlights of this whole thing you know from the people you've had involved to the events again mm. you know anything stand out what am i most proud of that's a good question most proud of the team man most proud of louis and paul and george and like everyone like al on the table and like all of our volunteers like everyone that's ever i'm just i'm just proud of the south bank community yeah and i'm i'm so proud to say that i'm a part of it and yeah i think my biggest like takeaway is that i'm just so happy to be involved and to see people doing so well like it's sick there's a video on your youtube which is it's quite infuriating actually it's like it's like this old old guy who's like the couple of lads who are having a bit of an argument with i think it's called like you know arguing with a bystander or something oh yeah now the thing about that is that's kind of maddening is that he is just not listening to reason that guy he's basically saying this is a shithole it should be and i wondered watching that you must get that quite you know fair amount like from people who just don't understand like the cultural value of it who just don't get it yeah at all you know because you know me, me and you can sit here and say you know we we understand why it's important you know we understand what skateboarding brings to a city into an urban environment you know that's like a thing that people instinctively know if they're in this world what would you say to somebody like that who it's so culturally removed and you know despite the fact that it's like you say a multi-billion pounds industry and you know there's this whole movement around it still doesn't get it still doesn't really get the cultural importance of it what is, is there anything you can say to change that person's mind i think it's difficult to change those people's minds um and we do get some people like that but i mean a lot of it as that video like shows is engaging with it and questioning it you know asking them to explain themselves asking why you know asking questions and not just because like, that, that's something that we've had to learn is like you know it doesn't get angry yeah don't try not to get angry and it's yeah so we we do get frustrated sometimes but you know is if we just explain the history and explain the significance to so many like young people and like how important i don't know it, it's difficult you just but it takes time you just have to engage them in a you know civil conversation if you can and just be like look mate like just as one of the like one of my favorite long of south bank videos says like open your eyes just look at it and yeah you know try and understand from somebody else's perspective try and understand the perspective of you know the 13 year old that's like you know living in the inner city and like doesn't have enough money to go and like get coffee or eat but like happily can just roll through south bank and like see all of his mates and you know develop social skills and you know an interest in art and you know it's so many more important like you know life-saving and like life-changing parts of south bank that isn't oh you're bored it's gonna hit me on my head like <laughs> it's just but people don't think about it because they don't know it and they haven't experienced it so if you are somebody that knows it and experienced it just try and explain it to them and hopefully you'll get a reasonable person on that note there's a really funny comment on uh which we didn't engage with on we recently had a piece following the news about the match funding there was a piece in the evening standard it's online somewhere and uh there's a hilarious comment from like an old angry man what a letter uh, uh yeah it's just like a comment on, oh, the, like online on the, article. Below the line like right and uh, there's there's an even better response um, from another member of the public about that. Uh, Same thing then, just like what? Yeah, you should, you should, anyone that's listening, have a look at it. It's, it's hilarious. I'll dig it this, out. This guy thinks that, um, 
should spend £709,000 can save the tube. And uh, I think it's so funny. Like, it ends with, uh, and it's just another space for like childish adults. Right. And, uh, <laughs> uh, he's yeah, just he, like hating on Boris by his jokes. It's probably the same guy. Yeah, the, the, the person that responded to us. Uh, he's never let it, it go. Like, essentially on our behalf. Like, just so on point. It was, it's so funny to read. You should have a look at it. Well, I think that's one of the things you lot have done really well. Like, just conducted yourselves really calmly and like stressed the history, stressed the culture. You know, told that story, said with South Bank Centre, yeah, with, with the public, yeah, you know, with the whole thing, and basically just been pretty measured about it, which has worked, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you gotta try and look at it from different perspectives. Like every time we do publications or work with the press, we always try and like focus on a new angle or an untold story. I mean, the, one of the great things about the current campaign is like. We've been in 16 publications worldwide since we launched in June, and like every single one has been something a little bit different, and you know, different imagery or a different hook, or you know, we do try and branch out a little bit when we can and try and remain exciting. We can't just tell the same story over and over again because it gets boring. Yeah, well, I mean, it's evolved, hasn't it? Like you say, it's it started in one place. It's in a very different spot now, isn't it? Like with this collaboration that you guys are, are working together yeah. with Southback Centre. And that's worked. That's what's eventually got you what, what you wanted, hasn't it? Yeah. And like, I mean, the collaboration is so strong at the moment, as we said earlier. Like we have regular team meetings with the Southbank Centre, like senior staff. We're overdue one, actually. We need to meet up and yeah, they're, they're great. I think, you know, they're very understanding now, very accommodating. We just used the space for this uh, shoe sale that was sick and um, yeah I mean it's 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 nice to be able to be friends with them <laughs> <laughs> yeah right a lot, lot easier yeah it makes your life a lot easier when you're working closely with somebody yeah yeah alright man final question um, we've covered it a little bit but and it's a, it's not an easy one but if you could sum it up then so why is a why is a space like this important in a city like London because there's nowhere else like in the world it's the oldest continually skated spot in the world, apart from maybe like a stretch of pavement in Venice Beach or something like it is a cultural powerhouse in itself. Like it was here in the 60s. It's generation after generation. Like it's massively historically significant and it's hugely culturally significant for skateboarding and graffiti and BMXing and youth culture more widely. It's just so significant and it should be celebrated. And alongside that, access to free creative space in London is diminishing. We need to protect it. We need to stand up. People need to start fighting for these spaces that they love. And I think that is another great thing about the campaign is that it, it does give other people hope, other community groups. And we, we always try and help other like, younger groups that are doing similar things I and mean, you know it's just like so important not to roll over you've got to like get organized and uh put the work in and do it because like i said it's just so important that's that's was the best space in london for skating like well arguably but um I like other places in London. I'm not, I just realised it's having said that, other people are like, oh no, go Stockwell and Mile End or something. Bro. Yeah, but... Uh, but uh, you've got, you got to skate it. everywhere. you got to skate everywhere in London. But uh, it's the oldest, so it gets that tagline. Yeah. 
Wow. Does that answer your question? It does, man. <laughs> it does. It's good. It put you on the spot. It's a good one. Can I ask you a question? Certainly. What is, what do you think is the most significant part of South Bank and the South Bank, along the South Bank campaign? I think it's the cultural thing. I think it's, I think it's the fact that it's, it is like a unique space in a very, like I, I used the word earlier, but homogenized culture, especially this part of London where you've got an E, you've got a Oaxaca, you, you know, that, that is on the march. You know, London is changing all around us before our eyes. The whole place is getting gentrified. You know, the whole city, people are getting pushed out. The culture's getting pushed out. You know, it's becoming more and more about money. And like you say, to have this in the middle of one of the most expensive bit, bits of real estate in the world, really, mm -hmm. I think is, is massively important. And I think exactly. it's... I think it needs to be protected for that reason. I mean, the skateboarding is obviously the point, but at the same time, it's kind of not even not really the point. The point is what it represents. True. And the point is the fact that it's it's an alternative history of this part of London that shouldn't be overdeveloped, developed over whatever. It shouldn't mm -hmm. be pushed out of the way. And that's why I think the campaign is important because you lot basically stood up and said, well, hang on, you know, who, the, who are you lot to tell us like what this is about? And that's the other reason why that guy, and I don't want to single it out, but it's just a good example of, of the alternative viewpoint is going like, well, this is just wrong. This is, this is, and it's like, who are you to say that? You yeah, don't exactly. get to say that, you know, like this has been a, you don't know anything about this. It's been going on for 40 years. You don't get to come here and say it's like a load of shit. Yeah, just walk on, just allow it. Well, I mean, whatever. It's like, you might, you might as well go to Hampstead and start telling, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> you don't know anything about that part of London and that's that culture and that's fine. Like, mm. and there should be room in a city for all of those things. That's, that's why I think it's important anyway. And that's why I think, <laughs> good on you. Sick. Well, thank you for covering it, man. And again, if, if anyone is listening and wants to get involved, hit us up. LLSBDonate.com. I'll put it all on the website, man. Yeah, big up yourselves. Cheers, Stu. Appreciate it. So there you go. That was my chat with Stu from Long Live uh, South Bank and a bit of a rant from me at the end to finish it off. But, you know, what a great story. So much to admire about the way the Long Live South Bank family have conducted themselves and been such positive role models for skateboarding and skate culture. I mean, the way they've subverted the stereotypes that were ranged against them using the language of skating and street culture to, to tell their own story in their own terms is, is really extremely impressive. And uh, one of the strands I missed at the top, I mean, really, this is a story of political activism as well and how it can be a change for good. And I think one of the most poignant things Stu said in the whole conversation is about how places like South Bank acts as a surrogate community support network for kids and other people from cities that don't have much and having what little they do have cut out from underneath them with every passing year. Which is why, as I said at the end, it's about much more than simply skateboarding this. So nice one, Long Live South Bank. Good on you for fighting the good fight on our behalf. And if anybody out there wants to find out more, then head on over to the Long Live South Bank website. Yeah, you're going to find it on the show notes uh, to see how you can contribute. Nice one. So uh, housekeeping corner. Massive thanks to everybody who got in touch about the Jeremy Sladen episode. Always extremely heartened by the appetite there is among the uh, Looking Sideways community to hear from some of the less well-known members of the action sports industry or follow me down a more idiosyncratic path than usual. And uh, I'm also continuing to get some brilliant feedback out there in the wider world. Special mention this week to Leo in Austria who made my day with a message that 
Red, just wanted to say thank you so much for making the greatest podcasts. We really love listening to them at work in our hydrobiology lab while we're thinking of the next storm to chase. Keep up the great work. We really appreciate it. Much love from Austria. So thank you, Leo and team, in some random hydrobiology lab in Austria, listening to me witter on. Absolutely stoked that you loving the podcast. And, and yeah, thanks for getting in touch. That was put a spring in my step on my way to Zurich, which is where I, oh, well, I'm in Lax now, but was on my way to Zurich at the time when I got that one. So what else? Drum roll. I finally sorted my shit out to get some Looking Sideways t-shirt sorted, which I launched over the weekend through the platform T-Mill. So you need to get yourself over to lookingsideways.tmill, T-E-E-M-I-L-L.com. So I use T-Mill in the end because uh, they do fulfillment, which means that I don't have to order a shitload of them because they just uh, ship them directs. It's an out-of-the-box platform, so you're really simple to use. It meant I could test demand before ordering boxes and having them cluttering up the loft and looking sideways towers. So yeah, I put them live over the weekend. Really really pleased to say that I, I shifted a few as well. I'm very popular on uh, social media when I put this up there. A few people asking questions about the merch over there. So uh, to Unholy Bob, who got in touch from Sydney, asking if I'd send T-shirts to Sydney. The answer is yes, T-Mill do. Looks pretty reasonable for that as well. To Lexi B, asking if there's going to be women's uh, versions. Yeah, they're on the list, as are hoodies and crew neck sweaters. Um, yeah, you know, not enough hours in the day really to do all this stuff, but I'll do my best. Probably the funniest thing actually about putting the merch live was the sheer number of mates of mine who instantly got in touch asking me if they could have one for free. So here's the thing. The whole reason I'm doing the merch like I don't have enough shit to be doing, is to try and bring some pennies into the Looking Sideways coffers and hence continue providing the podcast for free. If I then start buying my mates T-shirts, which are 19 quid, incidentally, then I officially have the short, the shittest business plan in history, like worse than New Order, when the sleeves they ordered for Blue Monday ended up meaning they made a loss on every copy sold. That record, lest we forget, became the highest selling 12 inch of all time so my answer to any blaggers uh at least for now is buy one you tight ass and help support the podcast that you're obviously really enjoying um right that's it back in a week or so with more so yeah usual drill subscribe on itunes or your favorite platform please leave me a review on there if you're enjoying it um five stars only though please and of course share the shit out of it on social media if you are digging it this last point, I've not said for a while, but it does really, really help. I mean, Desert Island Discs have got Kirsty fucking Young shilling for iTunes reviews at the end of their podcasts. Mm -hmm. So believe me when I tell you, I need all the help I'm going to get from you lot if I'm going to take it further. And yes, Leon and Pals in Austria, that does include you. So uh, I'm, I'm watching. Um, but yeah, thanks a lot for listening and uh, I'll see you later. Nice one. Mm -hmm.